example. A couple things to let you know about um, to add to your prayer list this morning. Uh, we got a message in the office um, this week. Many of you would remember Terry uh, and Pat Stewart living in Florida now. Uh, but Pat is, uh, according to Fred's note here, in bad shape, very sick. Uh, and so if you know them, even if you don't, uh, would you please pray for Pat? Uh, just They specifically called and asked Chapel Rock to pray. So we're going to do that here in a second. Also, I know that many of you have heard the news, but if you hadn't, um, Dennis Fulton's wife, Wanda, went to be home with the Lord. Uh, I believe it was uh, Friday, I think, uh, when that happened. At least that's when I saw the news. So uh, let's just take a moment and pray uh, for Pat and the Fulton family together. God, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you that we can gather together in peace and safety. God, we're grateful for that freedom, and we pray, Lord, that we'd never take it for granted, that we'd utilize it uh, for the sake of the gospel. God, we also want to lift up um, the Stewart family. Uh, we just specifically want to pray for Pat as she's uh, really not uh, feeling well, very ill, and just ask for your uh, healing hand on, on them and uh, the way that you provide to do the right thing, that we just ask you to do that. And Lord, we also lift up uh, the Fulton family as they grieve uh, Wanda's uh, passing from this earth and graduation into glory. Uh, we're grateful, Lord, for the promise that we have of that and the ultimate uh, reunion that we will all experience one day. We thank you, Jesus, for that hope that we have. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. At a missions conference some years ago, one of the testimonies was so powerful that it seemed to take the breath away from everybody in the room. Um, it was the story of a blind woman by the name of Punny. She was listening to the Jesus film in, in her language, and, and while those with their sight were watching, she was just listening to the movie. And, and Pani was greatly moved when, at one point in the movie, Jesus restores the sight of a blind person. And, and she cried out in the village as they were watching. She said, Jesus, I want to see. And at the end of the movie, her eyes were opened and she could see again. Jesus restored her sight. Well, at the, as the crowd at the conference heard this wonderful testimony, many of them were deeply moved by this, the telling of this miracle that, that this woman who'd, who'd been blind for so long was now able to see that, that the sound of laughing and crying just kind of filled the, the, the stadium that night, and the speaker reprimanded them. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. You're, you're, you're getting excited about the lesser miracle because the greater miracle that happened was that Jesus forgave her sin. That that night, not only was her sight restored, but she heard Jesus speak those words, your sins are forgiven. That's the biggest miracle. Have you ever had one of those moments when you look around at the people near you and you say, did we just see what we think we saw? <laughs> did that really just happen? I, I, I hope maybe you've had one of those moments where you look around and go, did, did, did you see that too? <laughs> Let me show you a couple examples. On April 11th, 2009, a crowd assembled for that evening's episode of Britain's Got Talent and had their minds collectively blown by a woman named Susan. Watch. I'm going to sing I Dreamed a Dream from the Miserables. Okay. Big so. <laughs> yeah? Yes. 
are standing up like this this you know uh, forgive me for saying it somewhat frumpy lady um just gets up and just blows everyone's minds we're like whoa where'd that voice come from that's amazing it's just and it launched for the last 10 years susan boyle has had quite the career as a singer but maybe that's not your thing that's not your your groove okay check this out uh in august of 2016 uh, the NBA was hosting a dunk contest at their NBA house in Rio de Janeiro. It was being hosted by nine-time NBA All-Star Gary Payton, one of Michael Jordan's chief rivals when Jordan was playing. And he, along with the crowd, was totally shocked uh, when he found out that there are some white boys who can jump. Watch. Hey, get the guy. Yeah, he can't get up. Come on. Come on. What are they doing, dunking? Yeah. He ain't gonna do it. <laughs> no, no, he's not gonna do it. For real? Come on, where at? Ah, here. Is like, what just happened? Where am I? That's awesome. Listen, I'm not the biggest sports fan in the world, but even I know that's awesome. That's amazing. Hey, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, I'm really glad you're here. If you're new here at Chapel Rock, I'd love to meet you. My name is Casey. I'd love to hear yours. Uh, I'll be down front when we're done. Please come say hi. For those of you joining us online, thanks for logging in. I uh, appreciate those of you who do that every week. We're, we're grateful for that. Uh, and whether you've been here for five minutes or 50 years, uh, as John mentioned earlier, please take a second, fill out your connection card, leave those in the seats. If you're watching online, just when we're all done, if you would, uh, jump away from that screen and, and let us know that you're watching too. If you're local to Indy, please come, come see us here on site. Uh, last Sunday, we started a sermon series through Luke's gospel on how Jesus interacts with the crowd. Th that Luke uses a specific word for this group of people. It's the Greek word aklas. The word meant the crowd, the throng, the multitude. I mentioned last week, Rudolf Meyer called them the leaderless and rudderless mob, you know. It's this group, it's to this group of people who really don't have anything particular to offer him, that Jesus directs most of his miracles, most of his teaching, and really, um, they're the, they, they get to witness Jesus' teaching and his miracles, and him push back against the status quo of his culture. We've got your Bibles, open them, or Bible apps, to Luke chapter 5, uh, verse 17 uh, through 26. That's our text today. See, Jesus had the power to keep the people in a continual state of amazement. Had he wanted to, Jesus could have kept the people of Israel constantly, whoa, with their eyebrows constantly taped to their hairline. Just, wow. 
He could have been the most popular wonder worker of his day, but his mission was way, way bigger than that. See, what Luke is trying to tell us in this passage is that the mission of Jesus will shock the crowd, but for much more significant reasons than they think. So here's what I want to do. I want us just to walk through this passage together. I just I want to do something that the preachers call teaching the text today. We're just going to kind of walk through it and, and jiggle the handles and, and, and turn over the rocks. Uh, and then I want to offer four observations at the end. And really, though, in order for you to understand what this text is talking about, we need to start at the end of it. We need to start at the end, okay? Look with me at Luke chapter 5, verse 26. This is the last verse in our passage. Look at this. It says, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Now that's the end of it. We're going to talk about why they say that here in a little bit, all right? But there are three statements in this verse that shows just how shocked this crowd was, all right? Here's the first one. They were amazed, all right? It's the Greek word ecstasis, the root of our word ecstasy, all right? And what that means is literally uh, stasis is to stand, ek means is the pre, uh, the, uh, what do you call it, uh, preposition out, out of. So literally standing outside yourself. It's that, that, what just happened? It's the look that you saw on Gary Payton's face, those eyebrows, like, what was that? It, it's that idea, okay? They're amazed, whoa, they're feeling like they're having an out-of-body experience, okay? Then the next thing, it says they're filled with awe. That's the Greek word phobos, the root of our word fear. It's, it can be tr- literally translated fear, but in context, it means this kind of holy awe, this respect, this kind of Wow, this is bigger than me, all right? It's like this. It's like when you're, when you're sitting on your front porch and you watch a thunderstorm roll in and there's a lightning strike nearby and the hair on the back of your neck stands up. Whoa! It's, it's that concept. That's filled with awe, okay? And then the last thing they say, we have, this is remarkable. We've seen remarkable things today. It's the Greek word paradoxos, the root of our word paradox. You know, it, it literally means difficult. This is difficult to believe. This is something that you do write home about, like, Mom, you are not going to believe what I saw today. <laughs> this is remarkable. This is, uh, this is not normal. And so this raises the question, what was it that so shocked this crowd? I think the text lays out four things. You look for them as we work through the passage, all right? Here's uh, Luke, seven, Luke chapter 5, verse 17. One day, doesn't really say when, just one day, Jesus was teaching... And Pharisees and teachers of the law, the scribes, same guys, were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Okay, let's pause right there. Luke does not tell us where Jesus is. Matthew and Mark also tell this story. So we can look at Matthew and Mark and and get a sense of a little more detail in some ways. Um, Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus is back in Capernaum, all right? This is kind of home base for Jesus' Galilean ministry. And the house that they're in may very well have been Peter's house. Uh, We don't know for sure. It doesn't say one way, it's just he's in a house, um, but it may have been Peter's. Regardless, the house is packed to the gills, all right? Probably a great portion of the town and the villages around it have converged on this home, again, maybe Peter's house, to hear Jesus teach. Now, not only this, but Luke adds this detail that even the religious leaders from the capital have come to hear Jesus. 
So there's a little time that has passed between what we looked at last week in chapter 3 and what we're looking at now, right? Jesus, there's just been this huge groundswell of popularity. His ministry is just exploding, all right? People are everywhere. And so the teachers down in the capital, the scribes, have heard about this teacher up in Galilee. Like, we got to go check this guy out. We got to go see if what he's, there's so many people, are, he's attracting these big crowds. We better go verify that what he's saying is really true. So they go up to hear him. Mark tells us that there were so many people there, you couldn't even get near the door. You couldn't even get close. Now, for you history buffs, you might remember the revivals that happened on the frontier in America in the 1800s. They would open up the windows of the church building, and people would crowd around the windows. They'd open up the doors, because there's no air, air conditioning anyway. You know, and like, just to try to get where people could hear these massive crowds, this is the same idea here. People are crowding around the house. There's a crowd outside the door trying to listen to what Jesus is saying. Luke adds this interesting detail also that the power of the Lord was present for Jesus to heal the sick. Now, I have to admit that kind of threw me for a loop. Because I'm like, um, doesn't he always have that? <laughs> like, like, can't he do that, you know, whenever he wants? Because, like, he's God, you know? Um, it seems weird that, that there could have been times that Jesus wasn't able to do that. Though we have to remember that Matthew 13, 58 says that Jesus, it literally says he couldn't do many miracles there because of their lack of faith in his own hometown of Nazareth. So there, there's precedent for this. I was curious about it, so I tried to look up the word present. It says the power of the Lord was present for Jesus to heal. And I tried to look, well, what's, what's the underlying uh, original language word behind that? Here's the thing. There isn't one. The word present is supplied by the translators. It's not there. What the text literally says is, the power of the Lord was to heal. That's what it literally says. I think what Luke is doing here is giving us some foreshadowing about that we're about to see something amazing. <laughs> if part of the Lord's essence is power, and the power of the Lord is present, then that means God has shown up and something's about to happen. And I think that's what Luke is teaching us here. Look at verse 19. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, there's our word, there's achlas, okay? It says, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd. Now, the, that second word crowd is not in the original text. It just says literally into their midst. So again, the translators are supplying that to make it clear. But they lower him down right in front of Jesus, okay? It, it, there are so many people crowding around that four guys, we learned that there's four of them in, in one of the other Gospels, with this paralytic friend can't get in. So they go up on the roof, which would have been flat. Here's, here's a picture of, of the, you know, a roof of you know, average first century home uh, in Jesus' time. Okay? So you've got these, these wooden roof slats you can see and a straw-covered roof. On the back side of the house, there would have been, now they've got a ladder going up. I don't know if it would have been like that, but there would have been stairs up to the, the top, ex external uh, stairs going up there. Now Luke adds this detail. He says that there were tiles. The, the Greek word is keramos, the root of our word ceramic. Uh, so this is a nice house. This is a good roof. Now it doesn't mean, when the other gospels don't include it, it doesn't mean that they weren't there. It just, they just, it says they dug through, all right? So, so Luke is telling you, this is a, this is an expensive house, probably one of the bigger houses in town. Again, that's where all, you get as many people as you can in there, okay? 
And so they start pulling up the tiles and digging through the straw and mud roof underneath it and the wooden roof slats to lower their friend down in front of Jesus. Can you see this scene in your mind? Jesus is teaching. He's teaching to people, all right? Everyone's sitting there. He's teaching. Little bits of dirt start falling. (laughs) Leaves, bark, twigs, you know, sticks. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, there's this hole. And everybody, you know, everyone's looking up, you know, and there's this hole in the roof. And, and I just, I had this image in my mind of, of a head peeking over. Okay, we got it right, Bartholomew, lower him down, you know. And, and, and the, this guy begins to, you know, come down from the ceiling. This would have been surreal. There are a few things that will bring a sermon to a dead stop, right? There are a few things that will just, just stop it right in its tracks. When the preacher gets his tongue tangled up and says something stupid or heretical, you know, I mean, that never happens here, but <laughs> other churches, right, it'll, it'll happen. Um, when a kid does something cute or funny, you know, that'll, that'll bring a sermon to a dead stop. I one time started a message by saying, have you ever been on a journey? And a little kid in the front row goes, no. It's <laughs> like, my parents never take me anywhere. Like, well, I know you, and I, I know why. Um, <laughs> when the roof falls in. That'll stop a sermon pretty quick, you know, and that's what happens here. Look at verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, the way I see this in my head is that Jesus and this paralytic lock eyes for a split second. Verse 20 tells us Jesus can see their faith. Was it the faith of the paralytic, the faith of his friends? Yes. That's the way Luke presents it. It's all of them. And Jesus says something that's completely unexpected, totally shocking in this context. He says, friend, in the other gospels that he calls him son, your sins are forgiven. The word translated forgiven there is one that means that God takes your sins away from you. He removes them. It's the same word that Luke uses in in Acts 2.38 when he tells the people, God sent Jesus and you killed him. And they said, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin. That God takes them away. They're they're not on you anymore. Like we we prayed about earlier this morning, that your sins are removed from you. There's no rebuke. There's no request for more information. Jesus doesn't ask him why he's paralyzed. Were you doing something dumb and immoral? Well, you just deserve it. He just forgives him. Jesus sees the totality of this man's brokenness and he responds with forgiveness and love. Look at verse 21. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, their reasoning here is not wrong. Follow the line of their logic, all right? If Jesus isn't God incarnate, the Pharisees are right. They ask a pertinent question, who can forgive sins? This guy's forgiving sins. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're right in that assumption. And because in their mind it's impossible for God to become man, they accuse Jesus of blasphemy. You are speaking as if you're God. It's a serious charge. That's worthy of death in the law of Moses. Look at this in Leviticus 24, verse 16. Look at this. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord, notice all caps, that's the covenant name of God, Yahweh, is to be put to death. The entire assembly must stone them. 
whether foreigner or native born, when they blaspheme the name, they are to be put to death. This is a capital offense. Now, in the law, this offense had to be an unmistakable and overt mockery of the covenant name of God, Yahweh. That's not really what Jesus is doing here. (laughs) So some have said, well, he's not really committing blasphemy. But he is speaking as if he's God and acting as if he's God. And so that's why they asked this question. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a hard time not imposing my own personality on Jesus. Do you ever struggle with that? Do you ever like, like, if I would have been in that situation, I think I would have responded, you know, which is why he's Jesus and you're not. But, um, (laughs) you know, like if they, if I would have been in that situation and I would have been him and, and they would have said to me, you know, Who's this guy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? I think I would have looked at him with one cocked eyebrow like Dwayne the Rock Johnson and said, exactly. You know, I mean like, yes, correct. (laughs) But that's not what Jesus does. Look at verse 22. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier? And I like how the NIV puts the colon right there because it might be confusing. It used to say, which is easier to say? And so people are like, well, technically it's easier to say the other than what you're, you know. Which is easier, colon, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man, first time he ever uses that word in Luke, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Now, the Pharisees and teachers of the law are drawing logical conclusions about Jesus based on their reasoning, and their conclusion is correct if their presuppositions were right. Here's the reasoning. Number one, only God can forgive sin. That's true. Number two, this man is forgiving sin. That's also true. Number three, well, he can't be God, so he's blaspheming. Ah, that's where they got it wrong. Their presupposition that God could not take on human form was wrong. And Jesus knows their hearts. He rebukes them for what they're thinking. That seems like pretty good evidence that he's God to me, (laughs) but he gives them even more. And I love it when Jesus does this. He knows what they're thinking. He can read their mind. So after he blows their collective minds by by knowing their private thoughts, he impales these smug, self-righteous dudes on the horns of a hypothetical dilemma. Now, technically, it is easier to say, get up and walk, that's only eight syllables in Greek, then your sins are forgiven, that's ten syllables in Greek. But Jesus is not trying to make a corny joke. His point is that both statements are equally impossible to say with any degree of certainty about those things happening, unless you're God himself. Jesus is using this opportunity to teach the Pharisees that he does indeed have the right, the power, the authority to not only forgive sin, but to restore someone's body from paralysis. And so as sure as actual healing followed Jesus' statement to get up in verse 11, actual forgiveness resulted from Jesus' statement, your sins are forgiven. Jesus looks at the guy and tells him, get up. And he does. Look at verse 25. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home praising God. This guy got up, took his mat, and walked out of there. Look at how Mark puts it in the parallel account. I love this, Mark 2.12. He got up, took his mat, and walked out 
in full view of them all. Here's my question. How did he do that? They couldn't get in. Remember? It's too full. There's no room. They can't squeeze in the door. There are people crowding around. Every spot in the house is taken. Every inch of square footage is taken up by people. How did he walk out? I'll tell you. There's this detail you might not have noticed. Go back to verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. Luke tells us that the Pharisees were sitting down. Maybe, just maybe, these guys were forced to stand up and get out of the way. They had come to evaluate Jesus and were comfortably seated on their bar mitzvah backsides And they had to stand up and move because the power of the Lord showed up and something shocking happened. (laughs) These guys were in the way for the people who really needed Jesus to be able to get to him. And they had to stand up. The only way this guy who had just been made whole by Jesus, and I want you to understand that this, this wholeness happened and it was complete. Think about what Jesus does. He restores him spiritually. Your sins are forgiven. He restores him physically. Get up and walk. And he restores him mentally. Go home. Go home. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with a mental health issue, I want you to know that this is a safe place for you to talk about it. If you're depressed, if you're angry, if you're feeling suicidal, don't go through that alone. Jesus cares about your mental health too. He restores the guy's soul by forgiving his sins. He restores his body by restoring his ability to walk. And he restores his mind by telling him, go home. He gets to go home. Be with his family again. He doesn't have to beg to live anymore. He can work. Jesus restores him that way too. And all of that happened because the Pharisees and teachers of the law got out of the way. And so now we're back to where we started. Verse 26. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. The people are beside themselves with amazement. Now there are four things that shocked this crowd. And I think by pointing them out, we'll have a better insight into the mission of Jesus. Here's the first thing, number one. The reward of the four friends' audacity. I think one thing that shocked the crowd was that this paralytic's friends were not reprimanded for their action. Jesus doesn't say anything to them about tearing into someone's roof. If if it was Peter's house, he was probably in the room. (laughs) He doesn't say a word. Which is interesting because later, when people will bring children to Jesus, the disciples kind of have a problem with that. Like, hey, back off with the kids, right? So they, they've done, they, they, this is not something that they are unwilling to do. They've had, <laughs> they will prove later that they're quite willing to say to people, hey, come on, don't bother him. There's no reprimand here for basically tearing a hole in someone's roof. Nobody says boo. Now, Luke doesn't give us any idea of who these men are. We don't know who the paralytic was either. There's no way to know. So let's just use our sanctified imaginations together. 
A few days earlier, Jesus was staying at Peter's house. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. She's miraculously healed. And look at what happens next in Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 32. Look at this. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Now, I can't prove this, but you can't prove I'm wrong, so we'll just go with it. What if the guys who brought this paralytic had been or had family members who had been those who were healed by Jesus just a few days earlier? Same village, maybe even the same house. What if they'd received healing and they're like, you know what? We got this friend. Thomas has been laid up for years. Let's go get Thomas and take him to Jesus. What if that happened? Here's the point. When you've been made whole by Jesus himself, you have a responsibility to go out and find other people and get them to the Lord. That's your job, church. And, and it doesn't matter what it takes. You, you, sometimes you've got to break through some barriers, and I don't you care if you've got to tear the roof off. Their soul matters more than a few ceiling tiles. And there'll be no reprimand. The second thing that shocks the crowd is the forgiveness of the paralytic sins. I think the people were legitimately blown away by Jesus' forgiveness of this man's sins. The Pharisees were offended. I think the crowd was taken aback. I mean, the gospel message really is pretty simple. Even a child can understand it. God made us. We messed up. We ran away from him. He came looking for us in the person of Jesus. And our response to God, going to all that trouble for us, is that we killed him. But even that was part of God's plan because in dying, Jesus conquered sin. As I said before, the word for forgiveness here means that Jesus has taken away your sin. He's removed it from you. That's, that alone is shocking. And in his resurrection, Jesus has conquered death. And now he lives in his church through the power of the Holy Spirit and continues his search for those who would accept him as Savior and Lord and have him remove your sin. And if you're here this morning and you've never taken that step of faith to say, Jesus, I want you to take my sins away too. And in just a little bit, we're going to stand and sing together. And while we do, I would invite you to come to the front and confess Christ as Savior and Lord and be baptized and have him take away the paralysis of your soul so you can run out of here made whole again. See, it shocked the crowd when Jesus forgave the paralytic's sins, his greater need. But just as much, it shocked them when he healed the paralytic's disease. That's the third thing in this text. Naturally, the people are, are stunned that Jesus heals the paralytic. Capernaum, in the time of Jesus, was one of the larger towns around the Sea of Galilee, but by modern standards, it was still a dinky little village. A few thousand people. You know, odds are this guy was known to many of the people in that community that day. He was known when they saw him coming down through the roof. Some of them were like, oh, that's Thomas. We don't know his name. I'm just giving him that name. Like, they would have known that guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, he begs out by the gate because <laughs> he can't walk. And then he walked out of the house. <laughs> you see, the final word in this passage is the word today. We have seen remarkable things today. 
The last time Luke uses this word is in chapter 4, verse 21, when Jesus quotes the passage from Isaiah about how God has sent him to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. And then Jesus says, today, same word, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Luke is trying to get us to see that Jesus is on mission here. He's actively restoring things that are broken. And he's doing it right in our midst, they say in this passage. And that's what's really shocking for this crowd. It happens right in front of them. There's no denying. Like, wow! God is at work here too. And so I'm going to ask you to pray the prayer that I sometimes pray. God, show me where you're already at work in my community and send me there. Jesus, show me where where you're already working, where you're already at work to restore and rebuild and renew this this community. Send me there, Lord. I want to to be in that group, right in the middle of them, when you do this, Jesus. That shocked the crowd. There's one more thing, and it was the rebuke of the Pharisees' hard hearts. One other area where Jesus shocks the crowd, and it's the way he handles the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Everybody in Jesus' time looked up to these guys, right? We have villainized them because so often they're Jesus' antagonists. But believe me, you would want these guys living next to you. You really would. They're, they're, they're good men. They, they, they cared about the law. They were trying to obey it. The word Pharisee was derived from a Hebrew word meaning the separated These were guys who avoided ceremonial defilement. They maintained a scrupulous obedience to the law of Moses. And initially, they really were good guys. When Israel came back from exile, it was the Pharisees who led them in saying, we are never going to do that again. We are never going to worship idols again, ever. And they created this fence around the law. We want to make sure we do this, so we're going to build in an extra layer outside it. But the problem was that their right motivation led them ultimately to wrong action. And they later became rigid and imbalanced and hard-hearted and hypocritical. I mean, everybody in Jesus' day looked up to them, but they were also kind of intimidated by them. Everybody except Jesus. And he could see that their scrupulous obedience to the law was just a mask for their legalistic hard hearts. And so part of what shocks the crowd that day is the way Jesus handles the Pharisees. (laughs) He reads their thoughts and he puts them in their place. Here's the point. If you want to follow Jesus, you need to understand that you will sometimes need to bear the scorn of legalists and perhaps even people you look up to. At their core, these Pharisees just didn't understand Jesus' mission. Do you? See, I'm sure the people in Pani's village were shocked when Jesus restored their sight. And though we probably shouldn't be, we are often surprised when the Lord moves in such a powerful way. Could it be that the reason we're shocked when God shows up and does something like that is because we still yet don't understand the mission of Jesus? See, here's what I've been driving at all morning. It's our big idea today. Jesus' words and actions can be shocking but only to those who don't understand his mission to redeem the world. Because once you understand Jesus' mission, and he pulls you out of the crowd and into a relationship with him, then what Jesus does, oh, oh, yeah. 
So here's what my challenge for you today. If, if you're here today and you're just now beginning to understand Jesus' mission, that he wants to restore and redeem you, in just a moment we're going to have an opportunity for you to respond. But if you have claimed the lordship of Christ and you claim to understand Jesus' mission, get out there and get on it. Go live it. Don't be shocked when God shows up and does something. Rather, say, oh yeah, that's how that's supposed to be. So if somebody, metaphorically speaking, carried you in here today, and you want to walk out by the grace of Jesus, you come as we sing. Let's stand together and you respond as God leads you today.